Training has been going smoothly for the Thundermen. Plus, Sabor has some new and important information for them about Grey. Seems like everything is going, oh, spoke too soon. Friends become enemies. Enemies remain enemies. On top of all that, a surprise visit. We listen to episode 24 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you, as always, is me, your host and producer, PJ. And with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi, everyone. Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? I liked this one. I will say this one felt more fillery than the last one. So I know you you had a thing <laughs> last week it's where you so were like funny. It's a do you want to hear me be annoying for a second are you gonna say this isn't filler it is total filler but i liked it more <laughs> you liked this one more yeah shut up i, like I don't know why more. but i just had a lot of fun listening to this one i mean there is a lot a lot that happens but it definitely this felt more fillery to me than last week's did Oh, 100%. It's almost all filler, but it's setup filler, you know? Yeah, like you do with D&D where you're like, sometimes that's just a plot hook for later. Yeah. <laughs> that's a mask of tool we're going to need for later. <laughs> but uh, let's get into it so we can talk about what those later tools were. Let's do. It's been two weeks since the tribunal and the Thundermen have been training, which means they've leveled up. Yay! Fitzroy has learned French, which is celestial in D&D lore, apparently. <laughs> I didn't know that, so... Good to know. Good to know. But he's been working with Festo to continue his sorcerer classes, and which he got Ben Luck, which is one of my like favorite little weird side abilities to have, because it's kind of like luck, but you get more uses of it because it's just based around sorcery points. It is based on sorcery points, so you get to decide when and how often you use it, whereas I think Lucky is only like once a day well it depends on how you you how i think it's twice and even then it's only against things against you but ben luck can be anything so it's even yeah. better yeah it's much stronger fearbug's wild shape has become a little wilder a wilder shape and he can now become <laughs> any version of gene wilder he wants honestly that's what i've been waiting for yeah i would he he chose you know late in life gene wilder i would have personally chosen willy wonka gene wilder well, he's saying that the wilder he gets, the more peak Gene Wilder he becomes. So he's right now late in life Gene Wilder, but he will eventually become the Willy Wonka Blazing Saddles Gene Wilder. There you go. Yeah. He also took Savage Attacker, which, you know, is a feat that increases his damage. He explains that, you know, the Fear Bulb knows what's coming. He's going to prepare for battle. So he's going to be a little more wild. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Okay, moving, moving on. <laughs> Argo took acting classes, which they do make the point that Clint just always has to be an actor, and they reference Dimension 20 here. Did you understand that reference? They did? I, yeah, because they say it. that whether he's a Genasi or a giant beetle, which is a reference to his character, Boomer Coleoptera, in Tiny Heist, the Dimension 20 side heist that features the McElroys. Oh, I remember you've talked about Tiny Heist before. Tiny Heist is so good. It has one of my favorite characters in all of Dimension 20, which is Justin's character, Rick Diggins. Rick, Rick Diggins. Rick Diggins, <laughs> a.k.a. Rick Diggins, Man About Town, a.k.a. Rickasaurus Rex, a.k.a. Super Rick. Uh, that I'm already sold. <laughs> you, uh, If anyone has, been, has not seen Brennan Lee Mulligan DM, a... He's the best, so get he on is, that. He's amazing. 
But if you've specifically been wanting to get into Dimension 20 at all, but haven't been wanting to jump in on one of the main campaigns, their side quests are a great place to start so you can see, you know, Brennan's GM style and how they do their setups, which mm-hmm. are amazing. One of the best D&D products you'll consume all year. And <laughs> Tiny Heist is all up on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And it stars the McElroys, as well as two other people whose names are escaping me, but they are also amazing. Their characters are so good. And it's they... all about toys and bugs pulling off a heist in a house. That sounds amazing. And Justin plays a Blocko, I believe. It's a knockoff Lego. And he changes personalities and powers based on what outfit he has on. I am so here for this. I am so here for this. And he has like intense existential dread. Because, like, he (laughs) was forgotten about in a car cushion. So he was, like, in a half state of being alive. Because, like, the only way toys are alive are if kids believe in them. Mm. So he was, like, basically in a coma (laughs) for, like, a few years. Oh, my God. Just, like, watching the outside world happen. And then Clint plays Boomer Coleoptera, who is, like, this big, muscly, like, brute enforcer beetle who longs to be an actor of the stage. (laughs) And puts on one-man shows that no one comes visits. Everyone, everyone's characters are so good. Travis plays like a knockoff Transformer. Griffin plays like these like roguish monk mouse people. Mouse-ish people. Ooh. Super good. Ooh. Super, super good. You know, I was thinking because you were talking about Clint's character in the Tiny Heist. And it's absolutely true. All of his characters have some form of acting or theatricalness to them. Yeah. He loves it. Ned Chicane, 100%. But back to this campaign. Oh, yeah, I guess there's Uh, this campaign. (laughs) He did start the drama club uh, rather than joining it. (laughs) Uh, And he increased his charisma and got panache, which uh, he's upset about not taking a fee. But I'm like, panache is amazing. I've never had panache or seen it in action. Because panache is essentially like you attack someone so... You don't even have to attack, I don't think. But even even if you do, I it's you do it and you have to roll charisma. And basically, if you do it well enough and they can't and they can try to counter it. But if they fail, you basically distract them so much that they have disadvantage. Oh, wow. Or It's either they have disadvantage or other people have advantage against them. It's just distraction, basically. You're doing something with such panache that you're distracting the enemy. That's a very barred thing to do. But yeah. it makes sense. Well, it's for specifically Argo. for the swashbuckler, because swashbuckler rogues are all about being over the top. You know, it's very much your Captain Jack Sparrow type, right? Thank you for full naming him. Everyone always leaves off the captain and it drives me crazy. I would never. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like Rakish Audacity is such a perfect example of that. Because Rakish Audacity is literally like, oh, all the other rogues have to be hidden and stealth to sneak attack, but you have so much gall as this pirate that you can literally go up and as long as there's no one near them, you can sneak attack them because they just aren't ready for you to be that audacious. That's true. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it fits now that I know what panache is. Yeah. Into it. It super fits into the theme. Yeah. Uh, Those boys over at Wizards of the Coast should know what they're doing. I guess they do. (laughs) Argo's dex checks are now plus 12 and Travis gets a little weird about it. He did get kind of weird. He's like, I might have to cap it there. And I was like, that's not your role as a DM, bro. It's it's not. Also, like you, we've said this before, but the higher someone's plus is to something, the harder you can be on them. And exactly. the higher the DC can be. 
That's how you counter it. There's going to be things that are going to be cake for them, right? Because like even I, because I I've run many campaigns at this point, and I've gotten to the point where sometimes my rogues, because rogues honestly get this the fastest of anyone. I I feel. Mm. but i've gotten to the point where sometimes my rogues are like i sneak and i'm like okay do it or like do it just for the sake of my heart but i know you're gonna succeed yeah you do have me roll to hide and i'm like i'll roll and as every long as time you i'm like do it at disadvantage but i still know you're gonna succeed and i still get like over 20 and i'm like yeah 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 <laughs> but even the first time i was dming really with crusade mm. Our friend Noel's character was super high in stealth too, and I literally sometimes wouldn't even have them like what I wouldn't even have her roll. I'd be like, "No, you're fine. There's literally no way they're gonna see you. You have a plus fourteen to stealth." Well, right now Silas has plus thirteen. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but I'm trying to be a little meaner on you guys on this campaign. No, yeah, I get it, but I look I look forward to the day when my rogue is like, I hide, and you're like. Yeah, you do. I don't okay. think I ever will again because you know what? Nat ones exist and they exist for a reason. They do exist. Oh, you just put out a universe. Now I'm going to nat one on my next sneak. Good. No. You deserve to get. <laughs> you always lose like maybe two HP per battle. You need to, you need to get some, uh, some grit on you. Listen, if a rogue, a, you know they're playing a rogue well if they don't get hit in battle. I feel like there's like three characters in our team that take damage and two characters that never see it. Uh, I'm one of them that never sees like it's it. You and Torishara almost never take damage. I've like, and not even in a bad way, but like I target Torishara more now because I'm like, she's the one that's making ranged attacks. If they have ranged attacks, they're going to go against her. And she has very powerful spells. Exactly. Like yeah. she's clearly a force to be reckoned with. They're not just going to ignore her because she's on the back line. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, our frontline enforcers are always going to take the most damage. And that's why they always go down the most. And they're always like, man, man, man. I took so much damage. I need to be healed. Yeah. You're... And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're literally in the face of five enemies right now. What did you think was going to happen? You're the paladin or you're the monk. Yeah, you're, you will take the most damage. I'm playing a paladin in our next campaign. And I know I'm going to be the one taking the damage. You know, or you could just be like me and play against type for no reason and play a wizard that wants to be a frontliner and keeps going down literally seven times per fight (laughs) (laughs) oh i remember her oh r.i.p indra 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 went down so many times for fight because i literally wrote her to be like she wants to be a frontliner but she's a wizard yeah and so she would go straight up and she would cast spells still she wasn't like dumb but she was up in the front line like she wanted to be the person there in the fight and always took a lot of damage she was our magnus where she was always rushing in hell yeah she was Uh, speaking of magnus uh they do kind of chide travis for being uh weird about clint's plus 12 but he's like all right magnus five attacks burn sides (laughs) uh and travis just suggests he'll adjust the dc for clint which he's joking about but that is as we've said the right answer correct not to say like you need to make everything now an impossible stealth check but as a DM, introduce things that would require a harder self check, right? Like mm-hmm. make your enemies smarter and make them make things that are going to be realistically a DC 20, DC 25 self check. There have even been rooms we've gone in where I'm like, there is feasibly nowhere for me to hide. I Exactly. I cannot hide anywhere. Like, you know, that's something that like, I think as a DM, I feel like we're going soft the rails here, but I, I don't mind. It's fine. 
as a DM, I really, I hate sometimes the way that mechanics are just very like set in stone. And I think you as a DM need to correct for that mm-hmm. because like on paper, right, they should be able to roll stealth whenever they want and yes. just hide. But like if they're in a circular, circular, well-lit room with no corners, no angles, no furniture, no nothing, how? How would that how? be possible? Yeah. Right? Like, there's literally no way for them to hide. Like, there's not even a shadow, quote unquote. Like, if you're going to be like, they blend into the shadows. Like, that's not a thing in this room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I've tried to make that argument before because my rogue is specifically built for shadowing, like fading into the shadows. And it doesn't always work. There's all there. There's been times where I'm like, I, there's nothing for me to do. I can't hide. And, you know, because, again, a lot of times mechanics theoretically are just on paper set. Like, it's like, well, I rolled well on this. And it's like, well, that doesn't really matter, does it? I'm so glad that you rolled that 19. It doesn't work. <laughs> My players don't do this, which I love. And if you do this as a player, I will ask you on behalf of your DM to stop. <laughs> don't roll for a thing you have not been asked to roll for. Don't be like, oh, oh yeah. by the way, I'm doing a thing and I already rolled and it was a 19 on stealth. Like, that's no, not how that works. Yeah, no, don't do that. I've played with players that do that. And I yeah. always found it annoying. I do too. Especially because, like, I don't think people do this often, but, like, I have seen people uh, elsewhere, like, just kind of keep side rolling dice. And eventually they're like, oh, that was a nat 20. I just rolled a nat 20 on that thing. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Is that what we can all do? We could just keep rolling until we eventually get a nat 20 and say that it's on the thing we want it to be on? <laughs> that's That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> yeah. So don't roll for things your DM has not asked for. Don't do it, kids. I'm very lucky that my players do not do that. You've trained us not to. <laughs> because it's one of my biggest D&D pet peeves, like straight up. Yeah, there's like been once or twice where that happened and you were like, please do not roll for something if I do not ask you to roll for it. And we now listen. Uh, PSA from PJ and Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to the actual story. The boys oh, are yeah. sleeping after a hard day of training and they are all back in the hell dimension. Minus the physical ailments, except for Argo, whose mind is getting picked at by the intense pain he feels. Ugh. There's a table set up with high tea on the surface. Chaos sitting at the head of it. They take their seats as Chaos tells them they are not happy with the Thundermen because they have caught wind of the secret assassination attempt, even though they promised Grey a war. Mm. He says the war has to be public and the Thundermen must win it. They don't care how they win the war, but they have to do it in front of everyone. The boys then wake and head down to breakfast. They didn't even give the Thundermen time to react. They were like, not really. F you, do what I say. And then they sent them away. Fitzroy is disappointed as they head down because the crate machine has disappeared. Oh, my God. So Greg did follow through with his threat. Ugh. Now we know he's serious. Before I was like, maybe he's bluffing. Not really. I didn't ever think he was <laughs> bluffing, but it's, it's sad. Uh, but Griffin says that because of his new large stature, and I keep forgetting he's like tall as hell now. I do, too. He's like, like over six feet now, I think. Yeah, I keep yeah. forgetting. I do, Fitzroy too. is eating nothing but protein, so his plate is laden with fish as the boys sit down. <laughs> Rainier joins them clearly very excited because her father has agreed to meet Fitzroy Ooh. she has the directions for a summoning circle and he'll come to them at the school and they can do it tonight yay after Fitzroy agrees Rainier says that it's a date before leaving oh oh and I was like heh 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 but also like I understand that it's not gonna happen but heh 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 yeah 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 it feeds into your ship which Justin makes a very good ship joke which we'll get to in a second Argo teases Fitzroy over having a girlfriend, and Fitz says this is why they don't hang out. Uh, Argo makes jokes like that. 
<laughs> and the fear boat gives Argo some sage advice uh, that he has to approach the romance like a boat maker and cannot rush the ship. <laughs> Which is such a good joke. If I I thought it was really, really funny. Oh, Justin. <laughs> we move on to some training. The boys have been meeting up with different members of the Unbroken Chain over the past few weeks to learn from different areas of expertise. And today is a session with Dakota. Fitzroy and Argo will be paired up trying to detect lies from each other. And they'll take turns telling one another two facts about themselves. Obviously, one true, one false. Mm-hmm. And the other will have to determine which is a lie. The fear bug is paired with Dakota to learn how to lie. This is going to get really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for this. We get started on the first round. And Argo says Argo's two statements are that he has webbed toes. And when he pees, it smells like tangerines. Fitzroy is too distracted by these facts. And Argo successfully lies. And reveals that he does have web toes because when he pees, it only smells like kiwis, not tangerines. <laughs> Those are such wild facts to know about Argo. <laughs> I mean, web toes make so much sense, though. You know, he's got oh. like he's a fish boy. He is a fish boy. Yeah, no, webbed toes make sense. I did not need to know what his urine smells like. But also, like if your urine had to smell like anything, at least it smells like kiwis and not urine. That's true. Or like asparagus. Ugh. ugh, ugh. <laughs> I hate the I'm smell sorry. of asparagus. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put that into, into your brain. <laughs> it's Fitzroy's turn now, and he says he spends his winter in a cottage that's part of his family estate, and that he has a lot of cavities. We obviously know that the first one is the lie. Yes, because he's not But rich. Argo just can't tell because of how well his deception role is, and he just thinks Fitzroy's teeth look really nice, so even though he has knowledge on it, he can't determine which is which. We're going to learn some very dirty truths about these boys. Yeah. Going on to the fear bulb, Dakota says he wants the fear bulb to lie about what he had for breakfast. Ugh. Ugh. When the fear bulb tries, he literally vomits. Oh, baby. Argo says that there can be loopholes to lying, that he can choose a breakfast that he had on another day or instead of that morning. And the fear bulb says that is a lie of omission, which is just still a lie. And I was like, mm, tell him. Yeah, tell him. Get him. We talked about this before. Come on, Fear Bulk. Yeah, I 100% am under the belief that lies of omission are just as bad as regular lies. 100%. The second round of lie versus truth begins, and Fitzroy goes first, saying that the spectacles he wears are prescription, and that he was on the jazz dance team at Clyde Knights. You like jazz? <laughs> you like jazz? Uh, B-movie. <laughs> a national treasure of a film. And you say that unironically. Unironically. Saw the movie in theaters, bought the DVD long before the meme started pj has an undying loyalty to the b movie so good (laughs) true classic the true american classic uh we already know as well on this one that the spectacles don't have frames in them we established this very early on in the series yes we did uh so we know that that is a lie so argo sees that the glasses don't have lenses in them uh so he rolls with advantage but he can't determine which is a lie regardless yeah at this point only lies have succeeded only lies have succeeded. Both of these boys have a very big plus to their deception. Not so much on insight. Not so much on insight. Argo is up next and tells Fitzroy that he has a vestigial fishtail and he's considered a career in traditional folk dance. Since we've now established that Fitzroy was a jazz dancer, he wants to see if he can suss out uh, the heart of a dancer from, uh, <laughs> from Argo. And I actually really like this mechanic that Travis introduces where you can roll insight basically with the help of another skill mm-hmm. if you can argue it, which like I kind of do something ish similar in our campaigns where I'm like, if you can honestly argue to me why you would use another skill for this check, I'll let you do it. 
Yeah. Sometimes you guys are creative as hell and you're like, well, because of this and this and this. And sometimes you're like, because I want to. (laughs) Yeah, no, sometimes it's just a question of, oh, my God, does it have to be this thing I have plus zero to or can it be this thing I have plus eight to? It's funny because it's become like such a joke at this point in our group where sometimes I'll be like, roll deception and someone will be like, can it be acrobatics? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, no. No, it can't. (laughs) (laughs) Not right now. Not unless you have a really, really good argument. We have persuaded you before. No, for sure. I mean, that's what the mechanic is there for, right? It's for you to persuade me to reestablish what the role will be about. But sometimes those reasonings aren't great. (laughs) I miss playing in-person D&D every single time we play D&D because of, you know, quarantine. We've had to be virtual and all that kind of stuff. What I miss most about in-person is when someone asks you a question you pause, you get this look on your face and you like cross your arms and sit back and you're like, tell me how that would work. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it so clearly in my head. You do that all the time because we ask you such wild questions. Oh God. And I miss seeing that across the table. Glad I have such a tell. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly when you're like, I, I literally do. I fold my arms, look up and to the right. And I'm like, so tell me, how you think that would work exactly yes you do so like explain that to me real quick so like what are you trying to do here but so back to this he does he does roll it with performance and he does not see the heart of a dance with argo which now establishes that argo does have a vestigial fish tail i hate i hate life why does he why (laughs) why now we know he has one clint Uh, why did you even grosser i'm gonna say gross because he talks about how last episode he like pooped his pants and he's oh. like and it was even worse because of the fish tail and i was like why won't you shut up please shut up stop saying stop saying words stop. oh god hello everyone it's me pj your hullabaloo hubby here's always to thank you for listening to our podcast we hope you're enjoying this episode we also hope you enjoyed last week's marathon and we also also hope you now enjoy as we go back to our regularly scheduled content. There's still a chance we might move to two episodes a week as the series moves closer and closer towards the finale, so make sure you follow us for an announcement if we choose to do that. Follow us where, you may ask? Well, on our social media, of course. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TalkinTaz. On Facebook, you can also find the official TalkinTaz group, where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast, or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to the socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. Now it's from this episode. Earlier, I incorrectly say Lucky gives you only two charges when you actually receive three luck points. I do still feel Bend Luck is a better ability, even if it just adjusts by a d4 rather than forcing a reroll. I just think the larger pool that is allowed by sorcery points makes it that little bit better. I referenced the cast of Tiny Heist, but was unable to recall the two wonderful cast members playing alongside the McElroys. They are Lily Dew playing TI-83 and Jessica Ross playing Agnes. Once again, highly recommend Tiny Heist. Everyone's performances are amazing. It is about six two-hour episodes long and worth every minute of it. I spoke a little on Panache, but was hazy on the details, so here's a clarification. Panache can be used as an action, so no attack is necessary, which I was a little unsure about. When using Panache, a creature who can hear you and you share your language with, you can attempt a persuasion check against their insight. If you win and they're hostile towards you, they have disadvantage against targets other than you and can't make opportunity attacks on anyone other than you as well. If they aren't hostile, they are charmed for a minute. 
Both effects end if they are attacked. That's low-key overpowered, and out of combat could be game-breaking with a high-charisma rogue. But that's the fun of it. Finally, I kept referring to the Undying Lord, Rainier's father, as the Skeleton King just a lot throughout this episode. My deepest apologies to the Undying Lord. Please call back your ivory hordes. I could only run for so long. We had quite a few questions last week, and we had some great combos over on social media about it. Again, you should follow us. This week, I want to ask, based on the panache realization, what's the most overpowered move you've ever pulled off in D&D? Did you successfully panache the final boss? Did you true polymorph the escaping baddie's dragon into a thimble? Let us know. Now, back to the podcast. Dakota asks what kind of berries of Fearbulk had for breakfast, and he says they were red. He tries to ask him to say they were reddish pink, and it still feels bad for the Fearbulk to lie even that little bit. Mm. Dakota has him repeat it a few times and asks if it still feels bad, and it continues to feel bad. Yeah. Dakota kind of thinks for a moment, and he's trying to think of another way of getting the Fearbulk to lie, and he asks the boys to do one more round of Truth versus Lie while he figures it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Argo says he's never met his Genasi father and he finds a breath of cats to be pleasant and not nauseating as his two statement. Fitzroy can't think of anything that might help him so he rolls straight and only gets an 11 and Argo admits that he hates cat's breath which means poor Argo has never met his dad which he's... I kind of assumed he never Yeah, I, I assumed that too because we know that Argo hates the spectral cat, right? He hates that cat. I mean, to I the wouldn't point... say hate. That's true. I guess I wouldn't say hate, but he doesn't like the cat to the point where Fitzroy, when they moved rooms, was like, I want this spectral cat to come with us because I know it It'll wrinkles Argo him, yeah. and I want to keep that going. So I was like, really, Fitzroy? You can't think of anything that might tell you that maybe Argo I isn't think he was super just, high I mean, on yeah, cats? I guess he could have rolled like history, but I don't think it would have been better than his insight. No, probably not because history is based on int, right? Yeah, and he's very low int. He is. So it wouldn't and really wit- have helped. And I think Wiz. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, because he rolls really poorly on perception and all yeah. that kind of stuff. That's true. We could get over to Fitzroy, who says he has a deathly pinet allergy, and he's beginning to worry that he may not be a knight in essentia of the realm of Goodcastle because he doesn't think Goodcastle is a real place anymore. He rolls oh. super high on his deception, and Argo rolls history to see if he ever saw Fitz eat pine nuts, but he only remembers that he's seen Fitz eat nuts, but not really as sure outside of that. I'm sad. I mean, I'm glad that Fitzroy's finally realizing that good castle was a scam but that's been his dream for so long and i'm sad that it's continuing to crumble and deteriorate around him yeah but i'm glad he's like realizing yeah it's better now than later i guess yeah we return to the fear bulk and dakota says his mistake has been asking the fear bulk about facts so he's going to try to ask him about opinions and he asks him what he thought of the berries and he says they were fine and he's like well tell me they were good and he's able to do it, and it's still painful, but it's less painful. Mm-hmm. Dakota then directs the Fearbulk to answer with, I can't recall exactly, <laughs> to the question of what did you have for breakfast, which the Fearbulk does easily, saying he can't really recall the amount of berries he ate or anything of that sort. Dakota leans into this, saying maybe the Fearbulk stays away from exact facts and to basically plead the fifth with a statement. <laughs> Returning the Fearbulk into a, pol- a politician. <laughs> yeah i cannot recall exactly so they made that joke where they were like oh so i'm just gonna lie like an oil executive <laughs> so define exploitation <laughs> i don't recall exactly how all of that oil got put into the ocean but it's there 
It was all from the Wish Stone. Mm, what? Wonder Woman 84. Oh, I still have not seen it. The whole plot, this isn't main spoilers. It's so early on you find all this out. Centers around like this Wish Stone, essentially, that can grant a wish to a person. Oh, okay. And one of the people like uses the Wish Stone to like make all of their like dry oil reserves spout oil. Oh, whoa. Uh, and okay. then a lot of other stuff happens, and overall, the movie was maybe a 7 out of 10. What would you put the first Wonder Woman at, just for, mm, just for comparison? I'd say high 8, early 9s. Okay. Like, I'd say maybe like an 88, 92-ish type of rating. I really enjoyed that. I'd say Wonder Woman 84 is maybe like 76 to maybe an 80. Okay. That's still, still pretty good. high. Yeah. Still good. Not great. Okay. I'll but that's fine, it. right? Like, it is, not all movies need to be amazing. Exactly. After all of this learning, Dakota says he'll see them next week for more lying lessons. But Fitzroy's like, well, I'm not really sure that's going to be helpful. I feel like mm-hmm. we know how to lie. And Dakota's like, mm, you might know how to lie, but you also kind of tell the truth to everyone that you meet about everything that's happening. <laughs> so maybe we have to teach you who to trust. That's, who you, that's what you asked for. You asked to find out who to trust. That's what I'm trying to teach you. So maybe don't be a little jerk about it. <laughs> maybe don't be a little jerk about it. I mean, that's basically what he says without saying it. So. And they even like tell lies about like how good they are at sussing it out and they roll really well in their deception but travis rightfully as a dm is like yeah yeah yeah, that's cute but like this is important this is important (laughs) like that's how he would like the character would react you know yeah absolutely it was perfect they return to their dorm room and a note was slipped under the door and it's from sabor who has finished his research and would like to see them in his office they head down and find another note pinned to sabor's door saying that there's been a change of plans and Sabor has been captured and that Gray is going to kill him if they do not hurry up and get to him. Oh my God. <laughs> Travis reads both in character voice, which I love, but they're joking like where they're like, how is his note so slow? How is Sabor's <laughs> writing just as slow as his speech? <laughs> I, you know, I get why Travis did it because as a listener, I was able to determine who the authors of the notes were based on the voices Travis was using. But I think it was Griffin who was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. He writes slow, too. The boys head down to the practice dungeon, and it's in a different arrangement than their previous visit. And Gray is sitting next to a campfire before them. Sabor behind him, and he doesn't look up as they enter. Gray greets them by calling them the Blundermen. And he's Uh like, is that anything? (laughs) Is that anything? Which is a thing I do all the time. Like, I, like, think of, like, a half joke where I'm like, I basically got the punchline, and I'm, like, out loud, like, is that anything? (laughs) Like, literally yesterday, I was sitting down, just scrolling through Twitter, and I turned to uh, Skylar and Casey, and I was like, Mike Pence, none the richer. Is that anything? (laughs) Is that anything? Did that hit? Did that land? (laughs) (laughs) Is this worth developing? (laughs) Fitzroy brushes it off with some mild comments about how well they're doing and wonders how Gray's war efforts are coming along. To which he says it's been ready for a while, which makes sense. Yeah, he's had 50 years. He reiterates he isn't going to stop the war efforts and preparations, but he is going to slow them down. And mostly because he's bored. So, I mean, like, I get it. He wants to have a war with them. But if he is that bored, why doesn't he just do the war now? Because he wants to make it fun. And it's only fun if they have time to prepare and make it like a challenge. So he's just going to keep interfering with their war. He had... 50 years to build up his yeah. armies without any opposition. And now he finally has a non-coward to go through. Oh, don't talk about Hig that way. He was a coward. Oh, my sweet little Higgle miss. Or like coward miss. Is that anything? <laughs> Is that anything? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. He says before they can have their conversation with Sabor, they're going to play a game called Try Not to Kill Your Friends. He claps. Oh. 
and the two gates cut open to admit a huge mass of bones stepping through the left, which is clearly the practice skeletons all joined into one large monster. And Susan, the magical bear, walks through the right, looking bigger and meaner than they ever remembered. Oh my god. Grace says that to make it more interesting, he's disabled the magic that heals them after battle and disappears as Susan, Sabor, and the skeletons charge Thunderman. Sabor is also under his control. Oh my god, this got so intense so fast. Heck yeah, it did. The skeletons take a swing at Argo, but only one of their three attacks hits. We move to Fearbolg, who takes out his tiny Gary and instructs him to tell Hieronymus they need help before he climbs up the wrong formation. Fitzroy realizes it's domination, uh, dominate person specifically, that is affecting mm. them. And he tries to dispel magic on Sabor, which is successful, but with his wild magic surge, he is turned into a potted plant. <laughs> which I have two things to say about this. Again, we've talked about this before, where I felt like he was having F- Fitzroy roll for wild magic surges too often. Yeah. But I didn't mind it. But now he's just not even having him roll to see if the surge happens. He's just having him roll the surge. He is. No, he's completely skipping the mechanic of does this happen now? And he's just saying, and at this, this point, is it's happening. like he's, it almost feels like he's almost punishing him for doing magic sometimes. And I feel like I'm kind of a little TO'd at Travis this episode. Not that much, but like it feels like he's like, Dad, your skills are too high and I don't like that and I want to cap it. And Griffin, your magic's too powerful, so every time you now have to do a wild magic search, no matter what, like it feels it feels like he's like punishing them for getting strong a little bit. I can see that. I didn't view it that way myself when I first listened to it, but now that you point that out, that I it makes sense. I can see it. Like I don't think it's like egregious. Like I don't think it's super bad or anything, but like it does feel very like he doesn't know how to counterbalance properly and he's almost kind of taking it out on them mechanics wise only Mm. like i don't think he's like being mean but i think it's very much like i don't know how to properly counterbalance your power so instead i'm just gonna like overly nerf you in a weird way yeah i can see that but he does roll and he becomes a potted plant a monstera Mm. and you know that's it (laughs) griffin's like i'm gonna go take five Susan is confused at this change of events and swings at the potted plant, which hits and it goes flying into the lake, which is only three feet deep. And he's a plant now, so he like loves water. Yeah, so he's fine. He's fine. Argo very dexterously jumps to the farthest stepping stone and uses his sling to whack a ball bearing off of the middle head of the massive bones, but he Yay. misses. Oh, I love when rogues use their ball bearings. I, you make me keep track of mine because I use them so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's doing anything because you have like a thousand off the bat. Oh yeah, no, I have a ton. <laughs> but it's just me being like, hmm, you like a ball bearing so much, huh? <laughs> Keep track of them. When you lose them, they're gone forever. There's an item in our fantasy Gashapon that I so desperately want you to get. Really? And I'm sad that you never roll the right number for it. I do. I do try to do the Gashapon every single time we go. I appreciate it. I love the Gashapon. Sometimes I'm like, everyone's like, well, we're just going to buy regular items. Healing potions. But I... But I spent all this time homebrewing some of these and the rest are for the adventure zone. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I've definitely gotten some items from Taz before that I really enjoy having in my inventory. Yeah. So I I love the Gashapon. Yes, I do use my leftover money to buy normal things, but I always go Gashapon first. I feel like everyone's officially done uh, trying to use the deck of many things. 
oh, I think we've been burned too much by the deck of many things to try it again. <laughs> My character is not a risk taker, so he would never have done it anyway. But everyone else but got you know so what? excited. We got through a full deck. We did. Every single card got pulled at least once. It's true. We did. We got through the entire deck. And we had to resolve all of that. So any <laughs> listeners that know what happens with some of those more intense effect in the deck of many things, it happened. They all happened and we had to figure out how to get back to normal. Sabor, who is back and aware of the situation, turns to Susan and casts Animal Friendship and is only slightly successful. We head back to the top of the initiative and the skeletons are up again, who take a squeak at Argo, and all three hits make contact this time. But he uncanny dodges one of the attacks. Good. Travis has the skeleton swing. He's like, this one hits, this one hits, this one hits, and this is the damage they do. And Clint is like, can I uncannily dodge one of them after the damage has been dealt, which is technically game mechanics not supposed to happen you're supposed to decide which hit you dodge before you know the damage but travis was very nice and let him pick the damage that he lessened and that uh just must be nice it must be nice i mean <laughs> okay i feel called out here <laughs> uh i feel like i'm just playing it realistically <laughs> sure 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 yeah i'm just saying that you know because the travis way that i do it, it is I I at least let you know which attacks hit. Yeah, no, you tell me which ones they hit. Three of these attacks hit, and you're like, all right, well, I want Uncanny Dodge. I'm like, do you want to attack Uncanny Dodge the first one, second one, or third one? That's how I do it. That's how you do it. That's also how Brendan Lee Mulligan does it. But I just, I was like, wow, I that would be super cool. Travis, do you want to be my DM next <laughs> when I'm a rogue? <laughs> you know, I think it's giving you way too much power if you could be like, well, I want to dodge the one that, gave me 32 damage not the one that gave me 12 you know like yeah well if you're gonna be capping well you wouldn't cap but if you're gonna be upping my dc for sneak i get to decide which hit i take less you know it's funny it's well you know what i think of it i think of it like when you go to a store and they have like a buy one get one 50 off like mm. you don't get to be like the 50 off i want on the more expensive one like they're like no it's on the cheaper one yeah that's true and if you think about it mechanics wise like if I am dodging one of the attacks, I have no idea how hard the other attack is going to hit. So it makes sense. I'm just saying it must be nice. <laughs> the Fearbulg gets a message back from his tiny Gary saying Hieronymus received the message, but needs more time. Uh, so the Fearbulg is willing to stall. He wild shapes into a giant eagle and soars into the air. Fitzroy becomes his half-elf self again, and he implies that he has the power a la He-Man as he casts Booming Blade and attacks with his maul, uh, or Booming Maul as it were. As it were. He realizes this may be a little too powerful, but he rolls low on his damage and goes into a rage. And so he rolls on his barbarian wild surge table uh, and Mm. a beam of light lancing from his chest like he's Tony Stark. That, yep, yep, it is, uh, well, technically it would be Iron Man because Tony doesn't have a repulsor in his chest. He has an arc reactor, so. Well, actually. Well, actually, (laughs) he would be doing that like Iron Man does. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, don't at me. I love him. Well, regardless of who it's like, uh, it's towards the skeletons and Argo. Argo dodges it, but the skeletons don't, so they take more damage. Susan is up next, but Sabor continues to hold her with animal friendship, and she becomes docile once again. Yay! We move on to Argo, and only the skeletons are left as a foe, so he casts Shape Water to freeze the water in the lake and jump off the stone onto the floor, then he hides. Which was good smart. Good little rogue. Yep, good little rogue. Uh, Sabor uses his turn to dispel the magic on Susan, 
Okay, so Sabor used his last turn to cast Animal Friendship. And then he used Susan's turn to determine how well the spell had hit her. And it was on Susan's turn that it succeeded, right? So then he should technically have another turn this round. In- no. Because what? so okay. So he used animal friendship to calm her down, but she's still enraged and under Gray's magic. He uses this turn to officially dispel that magic. So the way I had seen it was Susan attacked last time, right? Because she hit Fitzroy into the lake as a as a plant. And then Sabor used his turn to try to calm her down, casting the spell, which did hold. And so he was concentrating on her. And then it was resolved on Susan's turn in the second round of combat. He did animal friendship. Yeah. Animal friendship isn't going to dispel the magic that Grey put on Susan. It's just going to mean that Susan isn't going to see Sabor as a threat, but Susan is still going to see Argo, Fitzroy, and Fearbulg as a threat because that's what the Grey's magic is doing to Susan. Susan is now animal friendshiped, not undominated. So technically he did it out of order or at least put Sabor no. and Susan's turn together. No, I mean, he did animal friendship on Sabor's turn and then on the next turn he did dispel magic. Nothing wrong with that. Well, that's not how I took it the first time, and I was upset, but now I'm less upset. <laughs> we move back to the top of the initiative, and the skeletons uh, swing at Fitzroy, and all three hit, slamming into him. But he's in a rage, so he only takes like half damage. Thank God. We reach the Fearbulg's turn, and Hieronymus barges in, moving yes. away a hidden stone panel, and reactivates magical properties in the room, including the healing procedures. Whew. So Susan curls up to take a nap, and the skeletons are all separated into their individual bodies again, returning back to their home, dazed but healing. Yay! Jermaine can continue his novel. Ugh, where would we be without it? Ugh, honestly, lost. The Thunderman and Sabor head to the infirmary, and Sabor shares the dossier he gathered on Grey. There's a lot, but the three big takeaways are Grey can only be permanently killed in his domain, which makes total sense. It does make sense. Uh, He should not be able to travel between dimensions at will. Only certain spots can act as a portal between the two. So the fact that he's appearing in more random places means something is going on between the hell dimension and this dimension, which interesting plot thread to get back later. Absolutely. And only sacred weapons can kill Grey, all of which are heavily controlled by the Heroic Oversight Guild. Which is like, yeah. Imagine I'm pulling at my collar. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a lot, right? So, like, obviously, that means they have to fight him in hell, Mm -hmm. kill him with a weapon that is controlled by the heroic oversight guild, which we don't know how much influence he has there. Exactly. And he's gaining more power in transportation than he should have. Or something is. Do you think he's getting more portals everywhere? Do you think that I think just the two worlds breaking, are merging? And we'll find out what it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Everyone gets patched up and then they rest. Fitzroy heads out to meet Rainier to meet her father. She has everything set up, telling him to light the candle and say the magic word, assuring him that her father is super nice. Fitzroy does this, and there's a plume of acrid smoke, which Rainier waves away before realizing she's alone. And Fitzroy is nowhere to be seen. Oh no! Fitzroy is plunged into darkness. So he lights a torch and finds himself in a crypt-like room surrounded by piles of bones, which begin to move as he hears laughter echo around him. And that's where we end the episode. That's where it ends. That was, I mean, we've had a couple of cliffhangers before, but that one was really good. Yeah, what a way to end it. I mean, do you, what do you think happened? With the summoning circle? 
Yeah. Obviously, something went wrong. So either... I don't think Rainier did anything wrong, though. Yeah. So the way I read it, and I might be going way too deep into this, is because one of the things we learned is that, like, more portals are appearing in random places. This is somehow him going to the wrong place. (gasps) Because of, like, the way that dimensional travel is breaking down in this world. Oh, my God. And instead of, you know, um, the Skeleton King or whatever Rainier's dad is called coming here, he was sent somewhere else. And it's, like, this weird, like, evil crypt. Or maybe the evil crypt is the Skeleton King's lair. And instead of the Skeleton King coming here, still something was broken with the portal magic, which we're learning from Sabor's research and instead of him coming here Fitzroy went there and he just happened to end up like on the bottom floor of his like evil dungeon lair I hadn't connected the two of the um weakening transportation magic in the world and this but it makes perfect sense yeah I I feel like if that is even if that isn't what happened I feel like that would have been an interesting way of tying the two situations together oh for sure yeah no that fits beautifully together but we're gonna have to wait till next week to see what exactly it means exactly Uh, because that's all we have for you guys this week that's it that's it until next time i've been pj i have been lauren and we'll see you next thursday when we are once again talking taz (laughs) 